We're going to be in James chapter 4 this morning, verses 10 through 12. We're continuing our series on the book of James, so let's read these texts, these lines from the, the Bible first, and then we will talk about them, okay? Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. I was going to do a little bit of recap, but since we delayed our start, I want to honor your time, not keep you longer um, than you expect to be here. You know, we plan 70-minute services. We're typically out by 1140, and so on. We're going to, if you want to know more about the series we've been doing, the podcasts are available. You can check out the older sermons from the past couple weeks. We took off last week from our James series as Michael came and brought us his first sermon here in Moore Hall, but we're going to jump back in as we have two weeks left studying the word from Brother James. James has been talking to us about the ways in which we can be more holy. The best way to describe James is convicting. It, it brings out a side of us that we have to wrestle with and deal with. When we strip ourselves bare and look at our own humanity, we are left uncomfortable. And that's what James has to offer us. And so I would encourage you to read the book. If you have not, it's very short. It's only five chapters. You can read it in a sitting. Please journey with us through this, and if you were not with us, I encourage you to go back and check out some of the older sermons, but today we are in chapter four, and I would like to preach this morning about judgment. I don't mean eternal judgment like sheep and goats and heaven and hell, um, but rather the type of judgment um, that is pervasive, and it's like a spiritual and relational plague, the type of judgment that drains us of our ability to be the people God has called us to be. So will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer, we thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All God's people said. Amen. Have you ever been to a parking lot meeting? A parking lot meeting, if you think about it, I bet you know what I'm talking about. Parking lot meetings, they happen in a variety of different forms. They're not always in parking lots. When we were younger, they were locker room meetings when we would meet in the locker rooms. Perhaps you um, are in an office with a water cooler or a break room, and it's a water cooler or a break room meeting. But at church, they're typically parking lot meetings. Parking lot meetings are where the real decisions are made. They are the pre-meeting meetings or the post meeting meetings. They are the meetings that not everybody's invited to. They are the meetings um, that we think not everybody should hear our candor about the way we might be speaking. They, they're the places where we are honest about things we might not have been honest about in the full group setting where we, we share our true feelings regarding the subject matter that we did not share in public or really our true feelings about the people that we were in a meeting with, I've been a part of a lot of parking lot meetings. As preachers, we are encouraged to avoid them, but I can't help it. 
I think it's like one of my one of my biggest flaws. I mean, I got lots of flaws. Don't get me wrong. Just ask Brianna. She can start naming them, right? But but for some reason, I, I'm drawn to parking lot meetings, and I think it's because I'm just human. Because it, it feels like I can be um, a little more honest than I was whenever I'm in a full group setting. Maybe I feel like I wield a little more influence, you know, it's just one or two people. That I, I think that um, it's one of the, the worst things about me because I think James, if he were alive, would say to us that he hates parking lot meetings. I, I think that if you were to, to ask him, if he were here, he would say that they are exclusive and they have a propensity to showcase an untamed tongue, their lack of transparency. I can just imagine him railing against parking lot meetings, but probably the largest thing, the greatest thing he would have against them is their normalizing of judgment. I never feel more judgmental than whenever I leave a parking lot meeting. And I bet that would be the thing James hates about it the most. As we look back at our text this morning, it's the shortest selection we've read so far from any of the chapters. That's because we've already used part of chapter four, last sermon, and we'll address it again a little bit. And the rest of chapter four will come up in our next series, actually. And so we're left with this short selection, just a few verses. But I found if you read James really quick at a surface level, it seems very disjointed. Lots of ideas, kind of like Proverbs, something here, something there. You know, don't show favoritism and then tame your tongue and don't boast about tomorrow. Um, But I think if you read it closely, you can see how these ideas are actually linked throughout the book. As you read the letter, you can see that one kind of bleeds into, leads into the next. Today's sermon is kind of a continuation of our last one. If you were not with us, in chapter 3 and in the beginning of chapter 4, we discussed we desire what other people desire. We are chief imitators of the world around us. Therefore, we go out of our way sometimes to want things that other people have. James spoke about the difference between that as worldly wisdom and what he described as heavenly wisdom. He says the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure Peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers sow in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness. And in the beginning of chapter 4, he said, Do you not know? Do you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. And so James is essentially describing this Christ character, the peace, love, kindness, full of mercy, and that we should imitate Christ. We recognize that we desire the things that we see, and so let's clothe ourselves in righteousness by desiring what Christ desires. Let's imitate, be imitators of Christ. But this, these next verses that follow that line of thinking are kind of the practical application for living out what he's describing as worldly versus heavenly. He says, you need to humble yourself before the Lord. And he will lift you up. So the first thing we have to do is humble ourselves. Okay, James, well, what does that mean? How do we do that? He says, on a very basic level, he brings back up this idea of love your neighbor. He says, do not slander one another. If you're going to humble yourself before the Lord, there's a, a earlier in James and throughout the New Testament, to love God is to love others. They are intrinsically tied to one another. And so if you're going to humble yourself before the Lord, that means love the people God loves, which means do not slander your sisters or your brothers. Pretty basic, right? Don't talk bad about people behind their backs. 
Don't wait until you're in the parking lot to tell others what you truly think of somebody else. Don't air your disagreements to somebody else if you're not willing to say it to your neighbor. Next, he says, don't judge them. It is not your place to judge. James says there's only one judge. And a way of humbling yourself before God is to let God be God, and you relinquish your desire to try to do it, to try to be God. When you cast judgment on others for their sins, you yourself are committing sin. And he ends with this thought. He says, so who are you to judge? Who are you to cast judgment on your neighbors? And so our work for the rest of our time together this morning is to look at this concept of judgment and ask three tough questions. The first is, why is it that we have a tendency to cast judgment? What happens when we cast judgment? And how do we break this cycle of casting judgment? So the first, why? Why are we such judgmental people? Why do we do this? And if you think you don't, Let's actually look inward, all right? Because this is the main connection point between the two sermons, last sermon, this one, the the previous text and this text. Think about what happens when you get caught in the imitation cycle of always wanting what somebody else has. What happens when you're trapped by the desires of others? What happens when you see somebody else and they have something you don't? How do you treat those who, who live lives that you wish you could live or that have bodies that you wish that you could look like or who have houses or jobs that you wish you could have? What is your first tendency in those situations? It's to be judgmental, isn't it? That's mine. It's to cast judgment on whatever flaw I can find in the other person so that I can make myself feel better. We need to make others seem like less in our and on other people's eyes so that we can make ourselves feel like we're better than maybe we think we are. Judgment is a form of self-justification. If we can show that somebody else is worse in some form, then judgment will bring them to whatever level we feel like we are already on. Our need to justify ourselves compels us to cast judgment on others. We all do it because we're all human. And when we get caught up in desiring other people's desires that are worldly, that are not pure, you can't help but cast judgment to be the judge. We judge others because we're uncomfortable with ourselves. The reason why God is the only one who can cast judgment is because God doesn't need to justify himself. God is God, perfect in love. Any judgment God casts does not come from a place of insecurity, but rather from a place of love. He's the only one who understands how to fully reconcile love and judgment. And I don't know what that means fully or looks like eternally, but I'm glad God's in charge of it and I'm not. So why do we often judge people? Because There are things about ourselves that we feel uncomfortable with and we feel the need to justify. We judge people with money or nicer houses or cooler cars because we feel inadequate. We judge people with different nationalities because we're fearful of the other and want to feel secure. 
We judge people of other religions because we want to make sure to establish ourselves and our position in Christianity as the most right in the world. We judge people of various lifestyles because they threaten what we deem as normal. We judge because of something within ourselves. But what happens when we do that? What happens when we're the ones who cast judgment on others? The first thing that happens is that we fail to see God as God. When we cast judgment, we place ourselves in the role of the judge, which eliminates the need for God. If it's up to us to judge everybody, then what role does God have? God becomes relegated to just a totem who blesses our own desires. Have you ever found yourself there? Trying to find scripture or theology or religion in a way that can help you justify your own preconceived opinions? Let me say this. If you ever find yourself in a place where you're casting judgment and you're attributing it to your religious belief, just go ahead and assume there's something wrong with that belief. Your belief should never lead you to say it's okay to judge anybody. It can't because we're not the judge. God is. And so when we judge others, we create an idol of God and are no longer experiencing and worshiping the one true God. Anytime you think you are allowed to judge somebody for something that you are doing that you think is better, you are wrong. It's that simple. The second thing that happens when we judge others is we fail to see the humanity of our neighbor. Last week I preached in the traditional service about the Good Samaritan. And the scandal of the Good Samaritan was not just that one guy helped another guy. It was that a Samaritan who was hated by the Jewish people and who also hated the Jewish people, a Samaritan who was the enemy helped his enemy in need. The scandal wasn't just somebody helping somebody else. That wasn't the point of the story. The story was that love extends beyond those who we feel comfortable with. What Christ compels us to realize is that God's love is for all people. And when we judge somebody for being different, when we cast disparagement on someone for who they are, when in our own minds we think less of somebody else because they're just not like us, we fail to see who God has created them to be. We fail to see their humanity, their sacred worth. Judgment prevents us from being able to see our neighbor. So what do we do? We are humans, we tend to judge, we tend to do these things. It gets us down, it makes us feel bad, but it's not hopeless because we believe in Jesus Christ. And there is a way for us to try to begin living lives free of judgment, humbling ourselves before the Lord. And so I want you to repeat a phrase after me, and I mean this, this is, might sound a little childish, but I want you to do it. Repeat this phrase after me. A presumption of grace. You can do better, you can do better. A presumption of grace. So I want you to internalize that phrase. I want you to let it sit on your tongue. I want you to hold on to it. And I have you say it so that you don't forget it. And when we practice things together, sometimes we're less likely to let it leave our minds when we walk out the door. A presumption of grace is this. We presume lots of things about people we first meet. When we see somebody who looks different from us, we presume things about them that typically leads us to judge them. Most of our presumptions are presumptions that lead to judgment. But when we have a presumption of grace, it means we come to others the way that God comes to us, assuming the best. The reason why God was willing to come to earth, 
The reason why Jesus showed us the way is because God believed that we are capable of good. The reason why Jesus chose to die for us is because despite our wickedness and our sin and our propensity to fail, Jesus still saw goodness in us. He offered us grace before he offered us anything else. He presumed goodness. He gave us a presumption of grace. And if we can see our fellow humans, our neighbors, our sisters, our brothers, the strangers, the coworkers, the classmates, first and foremost with a presumption of grace, maybe we won't assume the worst about them. Maybe we won't judge them for being different than us. Maybe we won't presume that they are in some situation in life because they're just wicked people. Who knows what life circumstances have got them into that place? Maybe we won't presume about parents that they, they are terrible parents because they parent different than we do. Well, maybe that's what they feel is best for their family, or maybe that's how they were conditioned, and that's just one example, but there are hundreds that, of just life situations that lead us to cast judgment based on our presumptions. But if we go in with a presumption of grace, then we let God be God. We see our neighbor as the person God has created them to be, and we release our need to cast judgment. So may we be a church and may we be a people who pray that God can create within us a presumption of grace that will stop presuming so many negative things about everybody who's not just like us. That will stop looking at other people as being less than. When we can see the other as created in the image of God, then true peace can come to earth. And God's kingdom will be known here as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.